now, never, and unto the ages of all ages. Amen. So we've been doing this series um, during Lent based on um, this book by His Holiness Pope Shenouda III, God Rest His Soul, called The Life of Repentance and Purity. And uh, Pope Shenouda actually wrote this book. What I need to say is that a lot of the books which are attributed to His Holiness were sermons which he preached on a specific topic over the span of uh, decades. And they collected all those sermons and they put them into... Um, and, they, and, and they put them, they transcribed them in Arabic, and then they made them into a book. And then that got translated into English. So it wasn't a book which was written for the purpose of being a book. So sometimes they read a little bit differently and a little bit more clumsily, shall I say. But this book was actually written by His Holiness over the span of decades as well, um, simply because he was a little bit too busy, and he talks about that in, in the introduction. We gave out copies of it last week, and there's one more sitting on the shelf over there. So feel free to grab it, and you can order it off of Amazon as well. And then there's an older printing of it, um, which is available in PDF online. Um, and so we're kind of into the third section now, where, saying, where the Pope is talking about how to repent. We finished off last week looking at this verse saying, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And that was in the readings today, um, in the Pauline epistle today, St. Paul is telling us that if you have any inclination to turn to God and you're asking when, now is the time. If you have a desire to, to some, you know, a desire to know God more or to pray differently or to, now is the time. Now is the opportunity. Now is what God is calling you, is what God is calling you to and last week we talked about how the goal is actually not not to sin. Everybody thinks that, that what God wants us to do is to just never sin ever again. That's actually not what God is aiming for. God is aiming for us to repent immediately. Right? To repent immediately. That's, that's what God is aiming for. Think about it. If, if every single time I sin, in the, in the moment that I sin, I repent then I'm living in holiness and in purity all the days of my life. And we did some math last week where we said, you know, if, if, if TR is the, is the, you know, the time between, the time it takes me to repent from the time that I sin. You know, T0 is the time of sin and TR is the time of repentance, right? Then as, as T approaches zero, I approach holiness. That's what holiness is. God is not looking for you or for me to be sinless. He's looking for you and for me to be immediately attracted back to Him. That we can't stand for a single second to have not have God directly in my consciousness. We don't believe that God is a, we are able to be separated from God. I don't really believe, I don't know, that sin is separation from God. Sin is death. Sin is death. It's separation from life. It's separation. It's separation. It's, it's, it's an absence of God's consciousness in my mind and in my heart. Separation from God, St. Saint, Saint Basil says, is evil. But sin is just, it's just death. So the Pope gives us several different steps, and I'm not going to cover all of them, but you can look at some of them. He talks about self-examination. He talks about not telling stories and making up excuses and looking at the context. Just name it, own it, 
confess it, and get get on with living uh, living the good life, right? Not delaying and fleeing from sin, knowing what the standard is, um, and reassessing currently every day. Now, the first thing that you and I are going to have to do if we're asking ourselves how to repent is going to be to stop. Not to stop sinning, just to stop my day-to-day. Most of us, most of us want to live a, a better life in any domain, whether it's my holiness or my finances or my relationships or, you know, but quite frankly, we're just too, we're just too busy, right? We're too busy to sit and think about, you know, what I'm doing or what I'm doing and how I want to do this differently. So what we're going to need to do, you and I, is to just, just stop, right? Some of us are too busy to realize all the sins that I'm doing, and some of us uh, realize them quite clearly, and they're clear, clear before my eyes, and they make me really sad, and blah, 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 but I, I'm, just, I'm just too busy to do something about it. I'll ask you a question, right? If you had some online subscription that was costing you, I don't know, $150 a day, would you be too busy to stop that subscription for something that you don't need? some online service, you know? No, I think the first thing I would do when I see that on my credit card statement, I'll call my credit card company, I tell them it's fraud, they tell me no it's not, I would call it that whoever, wherever I, wherever this online service thing is and I would cancel that darn thing, right? $150 a day, I got time to stop that train, right? So, all we need to do is create a little bit of time. Create a little bit of time. Find it in your evening, in your morning. Find it somewhere. And then the next step is like in today's gospel of the, of the, of the prodigal son. says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. So he kind of, he came to his senses. He realized, I'm begging for food from pigs. What is wrong with this picture? My dad is a multi-millionaire and I'm begging for food from pigs. Not even, the, not even the worst of the worst of the worst of the workers in my father's household have to do what I have to do. So he realized this is madness. This is madness. The fathers talk about this all the time. They call it the madness of the demons. And all of all, we'll find that all of our all of our sins can fit into this into this category. But my problem is, I'm sucked into this vortex of life, you know. So at some point, I just gotta stop. I just gotta stop running. I just gotta stop the clock. I just gotta turn my phone off or put it on silent or put the kids to bed early that day or whatever. You know, wake up early if you're a morning. I don't know, right? I just gotta stop. And I've got to take a moment to do a few very simple steps that we're going to discuss right now. There's two models that I like of self-examination because they're simple. I like things that are simple. One is called the joy model, right? Where I look at how have I been unfaithful in my relationship with J for Jesus, O for others, and Y for yourself, right? So how, how have I been unfaithful in my relationship with God? Do I pray in the morning, in the evening, before and after meals? Do uh, um, I pray or from my heart or do I allow my thoughts to wander? Am I rushed 
my prayer? Do, do, I, do I read the Bible? Do I spend time with God? Am I, am I, am I longing to do these things? Are these things even on my radar? Or, 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 or not really? Um, do I use the name of God in vain? Um, do I wear the sign of the cross or do the sign of the cross carelessly? If I, if I pray before I have a meal or something, do I kind of just kind of like look left and right and do this, this little kind of like, you know, chest tickle? Or, you know, am I proud to be, uh, to be a son or daughter of God? Do I forget God? And so on and so on. I could go on and on and on forever. And if you look up, if you just look up self-examination online, um, you'll find all of these lists of questions that you can ask yourself. Sins against my neighbor. Do I respect and obey others? People that I have a relationship, pre-existing relationship with my parents, my friends, my spouse, and so on. My colleagues. Am I rude? Do I contradict people needlessly? Um, have I insulted anyone? Do I quarrel? Do I fight? Have I ever hit anybody? Am I respectful to people who are older than me or people to whom I should be respectful? Um, uh, for whatever reason, do I get angry easily? Am I bad-tempered? And so on, right? And then there are sins against oneself. And I think um, uh, oftentimes people get stumped uh, on some of those. But you know what? Jealousy. What's jealousy other than a sin against myself? Man, I'm fed, he's so fit, and he's so like built, and he's so strong. I wish I was like that, right? What am I saying? I'm saying that I'm not, right? I'm saying that I'm fat and flabby and that, right? What am I, what am I saying by being jealous of someone else? I'm saying, I'm really saying how I don't measure, how I don't measure up, right? I, I remember uh, as a teenager, I was a moody teenager, and my sister, uh, you know, was very patient and very kind with me. And sometimes I'd get really angry with myself and say all these mean things to myself. And my sister would say to me, she'd say, hey, that's my brother that you're talking about. You're not allowed to talk about my brother that way. No one's allowed to talk about my brother that way. Even my brother, right? That's what is that other than a sin against myself, right? Um, and I could go on and I could go on and on. And then you could think of sins of omission. You can break them down into sins of omission and sins of commission. Are there things that I shouldn't have done that I did do? Or are things that I should have done that I didn't do? If you look at Jesus, Jesus says a variety of different things and says, by no means shall enter the kingdom of God. All of them are actually sins of commission. And omission. Omission. They're all things that we omitted to do. I was hungry and you did not feed me. I was thirsty and you did not give me to drink. The guy who came to the wedding, not wearing a wedding garment. They were all sins. They're all, I promise you, all look, I challenge you, read the Gospels and search. Google it, like, you know, or Bible Gateway or whatever, you know, search for all the times Jesus says, by no means shall enter the kingdom of heaven. You'll find that they're all sins of omission. I remember, like, you know, I didn't kill anybody. I, I, mean, I don't know. I'm a pretty good person. I don't kill. I don't steal. I don't, you know, like, I don't, like, you know, whatever, vandalize. I don't, you know, I'm a pretty good person, right? Those are all sins of commission. But what about sins of omission? What about not doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing? I read this beautiful little booklet that we have in the back here by Buna Tadros. Uh, Malati talking about how repentance and confession is the door to paradise. And he's so joyful in his writing. And he says, he says, you know, over the years, I've come to the firm conclusion that the greatest sin that we probably all do, and he put lumps himself in there as well, he's a saint, but he lumps, lumps himself with us, 
he says, is that we don't live up to the calling for which we were called. He thinks that's a, a greater sin than murder or whatever, or whatever else you consider, oh, a really big a really big sin. So this is one model of self-examination. You sit, you give yourself some time, some space, block out all the noise, and ask yourself, how faithful have you been in your relationship to Jesus, to others, to yourself? And you can look in each one of those, you know, with Jesus, others, yourself, in each one of those, you can look at sins of omission or sins of commission. That's one model. Lately, only a year or two ago, I learned a different model. Um, and I really, really love it. I'd love to share it with you. This model is very much centered and focused on Christ, on His person, on how you know Him to be, and on your relationship with Christ. And I have a handout for this, but I didn't have time to print it for today. We'll print it for you and make sure to have it for you next week. Or I can email it to anyone who would like it in electronic form. The first step is to describe Jesus in your own words. How do you know Him? Right? If you need help, you know, finding characteristics or descriptive words of Christ, look in Scripture, right? You'll find Jonah talking about God. He's complaining to God. He's telling him, you're merciful and long-suffering. You're never going to fry the Ninevites. I know you. You're long-suffering and you're merciful and you're kind and you're patient, right? So all of those are characteristics of God. But how have you known God personally? Not, not like, you know, give me... You know, like search through the scriptures and giving me an enumeration of the different ways God has been described. No, but how have you known Him, right? Has He? Have you? Can you say God has been patient with me, right? Not theoretically, but you really feel that, right? Write down those things that you know, those characteristics you know of God. You know what's very interesting is that you will probably find most people find that when they do that, they notice a lot of the things that God has also put. And then, you say God is kind, and then the next question is, now which one of those character, which one of those characteristics, or which ones of those characteristics, has God put in you? Right, that's step number two. And you'll probably notice that your eyes will be drawn to the things that you can relate to, right? So I'll think God is kind because God has put an extraordinary gift of kindness in my heart. By no merits of my own, God has made me a kind person, maybe kinder than my neighbor. Doesn't make me a good person, doesn't make me a bad person, it's just a gift of God. The next question is what will determine, good or bad, is what have I done with it? So God has made me a particularly patient person. People commonly come up to me and say, I'm, I'm not at all. I'm not very patient at all. But, but suppose, for example, somebody says, you know, Father John, you're, you're so patient. Okay, now, I'm a patient person. What have I done with that patience? And, I have, what have, I, and I have, have I used it consistently or with partiality? I'm patient with my friends. I'm patient with my colleagues at work. But at home, oh my goodness, one person says one thing and that's it. I go nuts, right? So these are the kinds of questions we can ask ourselves. Really looking on a much more personal level. And in the second method, you end up with less of a list and, and more of a specific thing. It's a little bit more relational. Different strokes for different folks. Some people are very like something very structured, the first model. Some people like something that's more relational, the second model. How faithful have you been in employing the gifts God has given you? That's the third question. And the last question, the fourth question is, maybe there are things that I do that Jesus doesn't do. So if any of those come to mind, quickly, like not, you know, an exhaustive search, write those down as well. I'm a really big fan, 
I'm a really big fan of writing a list. Because confession is awkward. It's awkward for everybody. It's awkward for me. It's awkward for you. It's I've been confessing for, I don't know, 30 years or something, and I still find it awkward. I have the nicest father of confession who's very patient and, and very just listens and doesn't interrupt and doesn't make you feel weird, but I feel weird. So, you know, the conclusion I've come to is the issue isn't him, it's me, or it's, I don't know, right? And then naturally, if I don't have anything written down, I say two or three things, and I know there's about 40 others that I would like to say, and I can't think of them. And, they, they, and then I'm like, okay, just give me one second for them. And then there's that awkward silence, which makes awkwardness even more awkward, right? And so on. So I'm a big fan of the list. Some people feel that's mechanical. Some people feel that it's not like, it's not like having a relationship, but it's kind of very mechanical. That's fine. Again, different strokes for different folks. There's nothing really that's right or wrong for different people. But one thing is wrong. St. John tells us, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, quite frankly, if I say I have no sin, St. John says, you're lying. Pretty much. He says, you're lying. You're not being honest. Simple as that. Clear as that. Right? But, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How do I say I have sinned? Do I like buy a t-shirt that walks around that's a sinner on it or something? Like, what is, well, the, the, method, the, method of, the method of saying my sins is confession. That's why these two, that's why these two um, verses are bloodied one after the other, right? So basically, St. John is saying, if you don't confess... If you don't confess, there are obstacles to confession. I know there are. We're going to talk about some of them locally here and how we want to overcome them, right? But if you don't confess, St. John is saying, you're basically saying you have no sin to deal with and you're lying. If you confess, God is faithful to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, the next thing the Pope talks about is there's no need for stories, right? Like, most of the time, when, when, I, when, I, when I'm kind of examining myself, I'll go through the whole story of why I did what I did, and how and why and what I said, and so on, right? There's, 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 there's no need for that. I promise you, I promise you, God is not interested in sin at all. He's interested in an honest relationship with you and me. That's what He's interested in. God does, has no pleasure in me going and, and being like humiliated and that's not, that's not what God is after. But at the same time, if I, if, I, if, if I walk around like, you know, I'm the best thing since sliced bread, then, then that's, not, that's, not, uh, that's not honest either. God is interested in an honest relationship with us, right? And it suffices, it suffices for me to say, I did this. I said this. I thought this. So they're all I statements, and we're going to see in a moment why why they're, they're all they're all I statements. The word confess in Greek or confession in Greek is homologia. It's a compound word. It can be broken down into two smaller words: homo, logos. Homo, like saying, homogeneous. Logos, word. Right. So what does it mean? It means basically to align my word 
with someone else's, right? So let me give you an example to make it a little bit more clear. Suppose, suppose, I've used this example before, forgive me if, uh, if it's repetitive for anyone who's heard me say this before. So suppose, suppose we're all out for dinner or something, right? And, you know, Michael says something and it comes off a little goofy, right? So I, you know, being the opportunistic person that I am, I jump on that, right? And I say some sarcastic comment and everybody laughs. And I look around and everybody's laughing. And Michael looks a little down on himself. And I think to myself, you know what, you know, whatever, right? Like, you know, he had it coming to me. He walked right into that, right? And I think to myself, you know, good on me, right? I go home, whatever we do this, we do that. I go home, I'm brushing my teeth, I'm looking at myself in the mirror, I think to myself, you know, Michael has never been anything but good to me. Like, he's never, ever been anything but good to me. That, that wasn't right, you know? That just, that just wasn't right. Ah, tomorrow morning, I need to give him a call. See, you know, Michael, last night, I, I really shouldn't have done that, right? What happened there? One moment, I was saying, good on me. And the next moment, I was saying, no, right? What happened between this and that? I had a change of mind. I had a change of mind. I looked at this situation initially, and my judgment of it was such and such. And then afterward, my judgment of it was such and such. Right? In one moment, I said, no, that was good. Good on me. And the next moment, I said, hmm, no, that wasn't right. Right? So... What confession is, is to align my word, my judgment of an action, a behavior, a situation with Christ's. So when Christ looks at how I'm impatient with my wife, what does he say? I say, look, she's, she's a nag and this and that. She had it coming to her, right? Jesus says, uh, yeah, but... That's not going to help anything, John. You know, the church tells you hasten to do everything that pleases her heart. Just make her happy and she won't nag. Right? But being impatient with her and getting all cranky, that's not going to help anything. Right? So when I have a change of mind, a repentance, is when I come, come to myself, like come to my mind, you know, that, you know what, you know, her repetitively asking me things, me, Mary doesn't nag, by the way, Mary has like never, ever nagged me at all. My, my mother-in-law, maybe, but <laughs> y'all know how much I love my mother-in-law, but, um, right, uh, so that's, that's what repentance is. Repentance is a change of mind. And confession is then to use words, to speak a word of truth, to use words to align my word with God's word, right? Why do I need to use words? Why can't it just stop at repentance? I'll tell you why. Because when we speak, we do, we do a transference. We give, we give of ourselves. The psychology people know all about this, right? And if you spend a lot of people, so, so will you. You know, and, and the people who don't know about all, all this, they talk about energy and, you know, and people, people's energy and that person has a nice energy and that, that person has a not, not nice energy, right? You know what I mean? The psychology people have known about this stuff for a hundred years, okay? It's called transference, you know? Like somebody comes to see me and they're angry, right? Next thing that happens, I find myself angry, right? 
normally, usually, and then I find myself, I have this unpleasant feeling, so then I start having this unpleasant feeling towards that person, right? Because I was fine, I made the subconscious realization, I was fine before this person walked in, now this person walked in, now I'm feeling all crappy inside, so, you know, so then I get angry at this, that's counter-transference, right? All of that happens emotionally. But we can transfer things with our words. For example, like some of our you know, doors in the church have a keypad thing on it. If I tell you the code, I'm not simply telling you a code so that you can go play with the keypad. What I'm doing is I'm giving you access to that room, right? And everything that's in it. So the words that we say, you know, I, you, know you give me your PIN code, you give me you know, access to your bank account, right? It's not, you know, knowledge for knowledge's sake, right? It's, it's, it, it's, you're giving something, and it comes in the form of words. In confession, this is, now this, this, if you get this, if you get this, you'll, I don't know, this is so good, right? In confession, I give God part of the history of my life. I was impatient with my wife, right? And sin is a curse. Sin is a curse. Like you'll always find in the Old Testament that sin is associated with a curse. In giving this to Christ, He doesn't exchange with me. He takes the curse and He gives me a blessing. When I don't get it. I didn't get it either. I had this conversation with my spiritual father, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. And he just kept repeating it. He just kept saying, through repentance, the curse of sin is turned into a blessing. I'm like, I don't understand it. They say, like the curse of sin becomes a blessing. When I still, I don't understand it. He says to me, look, do you remember St. Moses? He said, yes. Do you remember his story? He said, maybe, tell me. He said, do you remember St. Moses went to St. Macarius? And St. Macarius prophesied and told him, told St. Moses, one day you will receive the crown of martyrdom. And St. Moses bowed his head and looked at St. Macarius and told him, it's, it is only just. St. Macarius said, what do you mean? Maybe I'm kind of like, you know, telling the story. I don't know if it happened exactly that way, but, right? But that was what St. Macarius said to him and St. Moses answered back and he said, for even Jesus himself said to Peter in the garden, he who takes by the sword shall be taken by the sword. So there's, the Bible says, Old Testament and New, he who is taken by the, who, he who takes by the sword, he who kills by the sword shall be killed by the sword. So if I kill somebody with the sword, right? If I kill somebody, then now I'm going to be like looking over my shoulder all the time because I know that what goes around comes around and there's somebody who's coming for me. There's somebody coming for me. That was the curse of Cain. God didn't curse Cain. Sin cursed Cain. God told Cain, shouldn't have done that. You sinned. God revealed to Cain that he sinned. And in that moment, Cain became fearful for his life. And God told him, the rest of your life, you're going to be looking over your shoulder, wondering who's going to come and get you. And then there'll be nobody there. You drive yourself crazy. Sin is a curse. St. Moses knew. St. Moses knew that his time was coming to die with the sword. But did St. you know, 
did, did St. Moses die under capital punishment? You know, did he die, you know, a sinner? Uh, did he die a criminal? Did he die, you know, cursed by society and hated? He died a saint. He died a martyr. How many churches in the, across the world are named after him? How many monks and how many priests and how many this and how many people have named their children? How many people have been inspired by him and by his story? God turned the curse scriptural. You can't say of Abuna that's Old Testament, that's whatever. Jesus said it himself. He turned, God turned the curse into a blessing. Why? Because he repented. How? It's that transference that I promise you, if you think about this for a second, you're either going to say, Abuna, you're nuts, or you're either going to enter into this fantasy world. This fantasy world where your past can be changed. You know, like those movies where somebody goes in the past and they change something, and then they go back to the future and everything's different, and that person was never born because of this. You know? It's like that. It's like that. God goes to your past, and He just takes a big splotch of blood and puts it over Father John was impatient with his wife. That, that's part of my story. You know, and then they went grocery shopping, and then they were buying peppers, and then this, and then that, and then they started fighting over the peppers, and then Father John was impatient with his wife. Right? And then they paid for their groceries, and then they got in the car. That sentence that's there is now, you know, white out. Like, I know this is like I'm dating myself here, right? Like, who uses paper anymore, right? But back in the day, we had this stuff called whiteout that you would white out, you know, stuff you wrote in ink, you know, on a piece of paper that you didn't want to be there anymore, right? Jesus doesn't use whiteout. Jesus uses his blood, which is opaque, and he blots out our sins. He overlooks them. He says, yes, I know it's there. Yeah, yeah, I know it's there. Yeah, let's go to the next sentence. Then what happens in the story? That's what confession is. It's a trade. It's an exchange. So, the exchange happens with my words. Using my words to align myself with, with God. See, the power of sin in our lives is shame. And the power of shame is in secrecy. Forgive me again if I've used this analogy before. You know what it's like? Anybody recognizes uh, that cry? Feel, feel free to go and comfort your child. Um, but you don't have to. You know, just if you want to. Right? Um, the power of sin in our lives is shame. And the power of shame is secrecy. Think of blackmail. Okay, suppose. This is not true. Suppose I make frequent trips to Europe. Right? Because of some made-up reason. And then, you know, unbeknownst to you all, right, um, I, I'm having some secret affair over there and I have some mistress and I have, you know what, and I have like, right, I have like a whole family and children and whatever, I've got some double life going on in Portugal, right, somewhere far away, okay? Um, suppose, okay, suppose somebody finds out and they say, you know what, Father John, I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell the whole world. I'm going to tell everybody. Right? What's my only way out of that? My only way out of that is to send out some big email to the whole congregation say, folks, next week I have a huge announcement. I need you all to be there. you got to hear this and you've got to hear it from me. 
I don't want anybody to be hearing this from nobody else. You got to hear it from me. And we gather the whole congregation, and everybody's there. Oh my goodness. And everybody's there. And, you know, I tell the story. Pictures and all. Right? What power does that person who is blackmailing me have now? None. Because the secret is out. Right? Suppose I hold back part of the secret. Like I tell about the affairs and the mistress, but I don't talk about the kids. Right? Well, they still have, they still have power over me. Who has power over us when we sin? The demons. The demons sit and taunt us and scare us and shame us. The moment, the moment we commit and we fall in sin, the demons go from tempting us and alluring us to kicking us while we're down. So the power that sin has in our lives is shame, and the power of shame is secrecy. Once the secret is out, what happens? Healing happens. That's why in the early church, that's why in the early church, confession wasn't something that was uh, private between the, like the, the priest and or God and, and, the, and the confessor, the person who's confessing. What would happen is that after the, the, the gospel, the sermon, right, the creed, everyone who was not, you know, part of the, this body of believers, people who were inquiring, who were interested, who were who are on their journey of faith, or, or people who had fallen away from the faith and were just coming back but hadn't quite fully come back yet, and so on, they were all asked to leave. Anyone who wasn't living a proper Christian life was asked to leave. And the doors were closed. And then, anyone who wanted to confess would confess to the entire congregation. And the entire congregation would respond to that person and tell them, God forgives you, be absolved. So that carried on for, to my knowledge, this is the history of confession as far as I'm aware of it. That carried on until about the 4th century. When the emperor became Christian, everybody started to become Christian. You started to become Christian because your master was Christian, because you wanted to marry somebody who was Christian, because of this, because of that, because it was good for business, because, because, because. But 90% of the people who were sitting there were not confessing and were not really living a holy and pure life, and we're not struggling, and if somebody were to get up there and go confess, everybody would turn and start judging them and gossiping, and hear right, and all of this, right? So some bishops, including St. John Christum, he writes about this, and others, started to say, this is nonsense. You're going to have this person go and confess, and then all these people are just going to talk about them? What happened to accepting them with love and, and the healing of being accepted and being loved, and right? So they, they said, you know what? Let there be a representative of the church who will represent the church, receive the person in love, and accept them back, in, back into the church on behalf of the congregation. So little by little, confession became private, you know, in, in the entirety of Christendom. Right? When Christianity made it to Russia, they practiced open confession. And the bishop would stand before the congregation and he would tell them, I want you to fast and pray for the next three weeks because somebody wants to confess. And I want you to pray that this person will offer a, a, a complete confession and never return to their sin. And I want you to also pray 
that you would be able to accept this person with complete love and acceptance and not judge them at all. And they'd go off. They'd fast and they'd pray. Three weeks later, the, pray, the bishop would say, okay, so-and-so, you name them, would come up to the front, would like to confess. Tell me now, if you are willing to accept this person with love, back into the church. If yes, stay. If no, know that you yourself are condemning this person to hell forever. So in fact, I would actually like to ask you to leave. And they would expel anyone who was not willing to forgive. And then the person would confess. St. John Chrysostom says, Do not be ashamed when you go to confess. Be ashamed that you have delayed to go confess. Don't be ashamed that you're pleasing the heart of God and making all of heaven rejoice. Be ashamed that you have the, the ability to make all of heaven rejoice. Heaven rejoices more of one sinner that repents than 99 who have no need of repentance. And you delayed. I suck at surprises. Because when I have good news, I just want to share it with you yesterday. I can't hold back. Why not have that same spirit when it comes to the kingdom and to confession? St. John Cassian says something really nice in relation to the prodigal son. He's speaking to priests and he's telling them, do not, know, do not be harsh on people when they come for confession. He's telling the priests. Because... Do not know that God has forgiven them from the moment that they started on the road to come for confession. Do you, do you not believe me, St. John Casey says? He says, I'll tell you. When, the, when Jesus spoke about the prodigal son, when did the father display his first, like reveal his begin that he at first had began to forgive his son? When he saw him on the road, he ran towards him. Yeah, he ran towards him. Why did he run towards him? To smack him? To tell him, what did you do? To tell him, you have no place in my house? To... No, the only reason he could have done that is because he forgave him. He was already forgiven. Before he came, before he made it back to his father's house, he's telling the priest, God has forgiven them the moment they got on the road. The moment, you, the moment that you get in the car, the moment that you get on the bus, the moment that you, you're on the road, St. John Pacing is saying, God has already forgiven you. The rest is for you. The rest is for your healing. It's not some requirement of God. Okay, I'll share with you a saying of St. Jacob of Syrup, but it's pretty rough. Sorry. He says, sin is to scorn the beloved crucified Savior. Scorn is like ridicule, laugh at. Saying, when you sin, when I sin, I'm standing at the foot of the cross and I'm looking at Jesus naked on the cross and I'm making fun of him. He says, that's what sin is. And delaying to confess is spitting in his face. I'll tell you a little, a lighter, a lighter saying. Um, I believe it's St. John Saba says, Palestinian father says what do you do what do you end up with when you draw a circle with a compass you end up with a circle but you end up with a dot in the middle and he says so is it 
so is our life with God and our neighbor. If God is the dot in the center, and we are all little dots on the circle, right? So God is the dot in the center, and we're all little dots on the circle. You know a circle is just a line that has two points that touch. That's the mathematical definition of a, of a circle, right? Just a line where two points, two, po two, two points touch twice or something like that. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I'm not that good at this stuff. But anyways, right? So it's just, a circle is just a bunch of little dots. So we're, we, we, the body of Christ, are all these little dots, and we're all around the circle. And St. John says that as each one of those dots, if one of those dots comes closer to the center, what happens if the radius of the circle gets smaller? The diameter gets smaller. Uh, the uh, circumference gets smaller. The circumference is 2 pi, right? 2 pi radius, right? So as the radius gets smaller, the circumference gets smaller. What's he saying? As I get closer to God, I get closer to my neighbor. So every time I approach God, I'm also approaching my neighbor. Now, confession and spiritual guidance are two kind of very different things. We're just going to talk about this briefly. Confession is where the confessor talks. The person who's kind of coming for confession says, I've sinned. Uh, da 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 da, right? I need to confess, right? And it's a series of I statements. I lied, I stole, I cheated, I this, I that, right? It's a word of truth, right? I'm, I'm speaking a word of truth. I'm saying what it is, right? And I'm realigning myself with God's word, like we said, right? It's a sacrament. It's always, it's, it's always necessary. It's short and it's prepared, okay? Spiritual guidance is like almost the exact opposite. The spiritual guide does most of the talking. Like you ask the question, I ask the question my spiritual father, and you're my spiritual guide, or my spiritual mother, whoever, and he, she gives guidance, right? They do most of the talking. They answer questions, right? In a spirit of prayer and humility, the church tells us, in a spirit of prayer and humility, you can, you can count on that it is God who is speaking to himself. That's why the first rule of spiritual guidance for the spiritual guide is not to tell people things that you don't have not experienced from God yourself, right? It's, it's first-hand experience, right? It's not a sacrament. It's not always necessary. You can come and confess and not receive spiritual guidance. And it's led by the Spirit. So you'll find that confession and spiritual guidance are, are often buddied together like two sides of a coin, but they're not, they're not the same thing. There are multiple people, a lot of us, who struggle with habitual sins, mm -hmm. like a sin that I do all the time. A common piece of advice I'll, I'll give people for that is come confess in briefer, shorter periods than how often you do the sin. Suppose I, I don't know, pick my nose, right? I pick my nose about once a week. Come confess every five days. So that person, we're not going to have an hour-long sit-down of spiritual guidance every five days, right? Like, nobody's got that kind of time, right? But that, but that person can come confess in 30, 30 seconds to three minutes every five days. It's not, a, it's not a problem. There's stuff going on at church all the time here almost every day. Father John, when are you going to be around the church? Oh, this time, okay, I'll just swing by and confess, right? 
It doesn't have to be a long and, and convoluted thing, right? Whereas spiritual guidance, you ask a question, well, you, you know, get the answer, but it's going to take, might take a little bit of time. I want to give you very quickly an insider's look. Sorry, we're going a little bit over, but we'll try to wrap up in the next three minutes. I want to give you an insider's look to what the, con the Father Confession is thinking while you're confessing. A lot of us think, like, well, who's going to think I'm such a horrible person? When I spent my 40 days of, you know, preparing for the priesthood, um, I asked my spiritual father, who are like really holy people that I should go out of my way to try to meet while I'm in the monastery? And he told me the name of a particular monk. So I tried to chase this guy down. Every time I would, I would try to find him, I couldn't find him. One day, I only had four or five days left in the monastery, and I thought to myself, I've got to find this guy, right? And as I'm thinking that, he knocks on the door. This is the evening, so he says, uh, tomorrow, hi, Father, whatever, would you like to come in? He said, yeah. I'm like, oh, why don't we go for a walk? He said, yeah, that sounds better. So we went for like a two-hour-long walk. And I asked him a question I had asked many people. What should I do when I take confessions? Because like they spent 40 days teaching us how to pray the liturgy. They don't teach us anything about how to take confessions. So I was you know, doing my own learning, asking people. So I was asking everybody and their dog, what should I do when I take confessions? So I asked him the standard question I ask everybody. He gave me a piece of advice no one else said to me, which has turned out to be 1 million percent true. He said to me this. He says, when, when someone comes for confession, immediately as they start to confess from their heart, like sometimes people make all this small talk at the beginning, which is a, a forgive me, it's not useful, you know. But anyways, right? But when they, when they actually start to confess from their heart, you will know immediately because you will see your own sins. As, as the priest, you'll see your own sins from like the corner of your eye. And if you consider that a distraction and you just brush it away, it'll go away. It'll go away and you'll lose it. But if you pay just a little bit of attention to it, from the corner of your eye, it will grow and grow and grow in your eyesight. And it will fill your whole field of vision. By the time that person is done confessing, all you will be able to see is your own sins. And then you'll look over to that person, and you'll be like, oh my goodness, that you only had like three sins or five sins or whatever to confess. I've done like 400. You'll look at them, and you'll see, when's the last time I confessed? I don't know. A month ago? Two months ago? This person just confessed right now. You look at how courageous that person was. That person will, will also grow in your eyesight. You look at them as a hero of faith, as a hero of courage. Someone who threw caution and their dignity and their to the wind because of their love for Christ and wanting to be united with Him. And me? Oh my goodness. No, i got to do what that person just did. i got to live up to that. This, isn't, this is not okay. Right? Best advice I got. And every single time one of you comes to confess, I promise you, I promise you. In the beginning, like I'm listening closely. Afterwards, it becomes I'm listening. But it's kind of between you and Christ anyways, and I'm just here as a witness. And it becomes a moment of my own repentance. And at the end, when I put my hand, when I put my, my hand on, on my head and the head of the person who is confessing, I pray from all my heart for the person, but I'm praying for myself as well. And I see myself as far worse the sinner than, than the person who came to confess. And it makes me want to run to my spiritual father to go and to confess. Something else 
that, that needs to be said, although it doesn't need to be said, but it needs to be said, is everything that happens in confession is entirely confidential. Now, you may know that, but you may or may not know that everything that the priest tells you is also supposed to be entirely confidential. Like, you're not expecting me to go and tell anybody anything you said in confession, but I'm also expecting you not to go and say anything that we said in confession. Frequently, I use examples from my own life to share with you, to tell you I'm with you on the way. I'm, I'm not, I'm made of the same stuff as you. Oh, you, you have difficulty with lying? I, I, you know what? I have difficulty too. But when I went to my spiritual father, he gave me this advice. So I'm sharing with you my confessions. So I'm hoping that you're not going to go share that with the whole world, right? At least anonymize it. I once spoke to somebody who told me or something, you know, right? If something, the only thing that's in a, that's a, that is um, an exception to that is if someone is a danger to themselves or to others, you know. So if I have a serious concern that someone is suicidal or homicidal, then I will take your permission. Well, I will inform you and then, you know, try to get you professional help um, because that probably can't wait, you know. But even if it's something that requires professional help that I can't help you with, right? Then that's still that's still your that's still the, the, conf the confessor's prerogative. Like I can't can't force you to, to get uh, to get. Um, we'll skip that. So all of this is leading up to, um, and I'm gonna make a little promo video about this and send it out this week. I kind of want to change how we do things here at SMSK uh, because I tend to sit with people for somewhere between half an hour to an hour and fifteen hour and twenty minutes. And some people sometimes walk into church on a Saturday night, hoping to confess, and they see two or three other people before them, and they're like, let, let me do the math, an hour and 20 minutes, three people, I'm going to be here for four hours waiting for my turn, right? And they leave disappointed, right? So that's not fair. So we have unscheduled time for confession. For some people, booking an appointment and all of that is a pain in the butt. They just want to come, they want to confess, and they want to be on their way. That's what we'll make Saturday nights for and any other, before or after any other service. Because confession, we agree, is going to take 30 seconds to 3 minutes, right? So even after a liturgy, before a meeting, before, Abuna, may I confess? I've done it in every corner of this church. Sure, no problem. And I put my, my arm around your shoulder and bend my head over. You whisper a few words. We pray, I pray, you pray, I pray the absolution. See you later, right? That way... Everybody has confession, access to confession, as often as you want. You want to confess once a week? Go for it. In some other churches, they confess every time before they have communion. So when you walk into the church on Saturday night, you find a lineup from the front of the church to the back. And everybody walks up to the priest. The priest is just standing there like this. And everybody walks up to the priest, whispers a couple of words, and leaves. Okay, that's the other end of the spectrum, right? Like, you know, there's hour and 20 minutes and there's the, the five-second confession, so we're not to swing the pendulum the whole way the other way, but let's try to bring it somewhere to center, right? Then, for spiritual guidance, those, whoever comes to me for spiritual guidance, or if you go to someone else, that's perfectly okay, right? We'll make an appointment for that so that you can have the time that you need. You need half an hour, you need 45 minutes, you need an hour. We'll make an appointment for that. Easy ways to do that on our website. You can go there. There's a great little button that says make an appointment with Father John. You just click that. It shows you my availabilities. Da da da. Right? Or you can call Christine, my assistant, or you can text me. I'll probably forward 
you know, your phone number to Christine and ask her to schedule it, right? And that's, and we'll just do it like that. So that we can have, everybody can have access to, confession is a mystery. There's power in confession. You want to know the single, the single most useful thing you can do to bump your life up with God is frequent confession. It's the easiest thing in the whole wide world. I promise you. When I went from confessing just whenever to confessing once a month, like I confess, I try to confess on the fourth of every month. That's what I do, right? I was ordained on the fourth, so I said, what I, you know what? It's a special day for me. I picked the fourth. Okay? Huh? I know, right? <laughs> right? That's what I do. Another one of uh, somebody in our congregation, and he's told me I can share this with you. Every time he writes a rent check, he sends me a text message, says, Father John, I'd like to confess. But we want to change that. Instead of sending me a text message, I'd like to confess, I mean, you're welcome to, but just show up. Just, just come. Just be here. Just come to something that you know that I'll be here at and say, I'd like to confess. We'll, we'll take a corner. We'll go sit upstairs in the church in front of the cross of Christ or whatever, three minutes. Of I statements, I lied, I stole, I this, I this, I that, I that, I that. Father John, please pray for me. Hallelujah. Glad pray for you, pray for myself. And we're off to the races. Right? That way everyone can have everyone can have access to confession as frequently and as frequently as they as they would like. Lastly, next week we're gonna talk about what are landmarks on the way. Now I'm, I'm committed to this life of repentance and of holiness and of purity. What should I expect to start seeing? Early, early changes in my life, short-term changes and long-term changes. God bless you. Glory be to God for us. Let's stand and pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God, and thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for changing the curse of sin, Lord, to us for a blessing. I can't, I can't get over, Lord. I can't get over, Lord, that you, you take... You take the worst thing in the world, the blackest thing that's black, and make it and make it white, Lord. You take, Lord, the, the curse of death and sin and make, make it a blessing for us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us access, Lord, to this. Please, Lord, lift us up. Lift us up, Lord, to live this heavenly life, to always be living in the rejoicing of your kingdom in our own repentance and the repentance of others. In your mighty name we pray through the sessions and prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, we pray to our Father, who art in heaven. Now the love of God, the Father, the grace of God, the Son, 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 the